scripture reading tonight will be from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Dear brothers and sisters, I, do not, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You may be seated. As we begin a, a new year in 2018, I want to talk about something that I think is very near and dear to each of our hearts. I want to talk about being successful. I think all of us realize that success plays a very important role in our culture and in our society. Uh, millions of hours and billions of dollars are, are used trying to produce success. Uh, parents and grandparents, don't we want our children to be successful? But I think we've got to define what success is before we endeavor to achieve it. You know, the world's definition of success and God's definition of success are two different things. And sometimes if we're not careful, we lose sight of what true success in life actually is. Now, if you ask the kids what true success in life, and I hope you've been listening as well, you know, true success in life is living your life and going to heaven when this life is over. But do we truly believe that? Do we truly live our lives with that endeavor? I'm afraid sometimes we, as parents and grandparents, we might emphasize academics and athletics to the point that maybe spiritual things get shoved in the corner. Oh, it's all right. You stay home on church night and study for that exam tomorrow. That's very, very important. You know, what are we saying to our kids when we allow secular things to take precedence over spiritual things. You know, our world today uh, views success in far different ways in which we should view success. I've heard parents say, well, you know, my children are successful. You know, they make this amount of money. They've got this kind of a job. They, they live in this kind of a house. And yet, those children maybe aren't Christians or they aren't faithful Christians, but, you know, they're successful. We need to really understand and believe that true success in life can only happen when we reach our eternal destination of heaven. Doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter the kind of car you drive or the clothes that you wear, the job that you have, the athletic achievements, the academic achievements that, that you may have in your life. The only thing that matters, and really the question is, a hundred years from tonight, the only thing that's going to matter is where you're going to be spending your eternity. 
But I want to submit to you tonight as we begun a new year that the church of our Lord likewise needs to be concerned about success. Because you see, the church has the most important mission on the face of this earth. That mission was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Mark 16 and 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. And I think it's vitally important that we in the church study and use good, sound success principles. We need to be very wise in doing the Lord's work. You know, there have been many formulas for success, many outstanding statements that folks have given about success. I think about a big league ball player, a baseball player one time who gave his formula for success. He said, you need to give yourself completely to what you're doing. You need to set yourself a goal of excellence. You need to be willing to break through your fatigue barrier. You need to be willing to pay the price for what you want. He said, nothing is more important than right thinking. You know, those are really inspirational words. They're good words to live by if we want success from the standpoint that the world sees it. I have in my office frame some of the words of Coach Bryant, former coach at Alabama, that I think about often. He said, if you believe in yourself, have dedication and pride and never quit, you'll be a winner. The price of victory is high, but so are the rewards. Now, in kids sing, we always make the kids at the end and uh, make the statement, I will do my best. I will never give up and let God take care of the rest. You know, it's always my goal and my hope that from the time these children can be, begin to understand sentences and put their thoughts together, that that statement somehow is going to stick inside their brain to the point that they're going to apply it as they go through school or doing whatever they may do in athletics. You do your best and you don't ever quit. And once you've done your best and you don't quit, you just have to turn it over to God and let God take care of the rest. You know, that's a pretty good formula for success, I think, as well. But in our lesson tonight, I want us to call our attention to uh, not men and to their formulas for success. I want to go to the Bible and I want to look at a man whose life and teachings are found on the pages of inspiration. I want to look at the man Paul tonight, the Apostle Paul, and I want to emphasize the fact that when we observe Paul's life, we can see a true picture of what success takes, what success involves. I think all good rules of success are in harmony with Paul's life and Paul's teachings. And I want to do two things tonight. First of all, I want us to briefly note that Paul's life exemplified success principles. 
And then secondly, I want us to observe that Paul's teachings likewise exemplify success principles. I want us to first of all tonight notice that that Paul's life exemplified success principles. When we study Paul's writings and as we look at what's been written about Paul's life, we notice several characteristics immediately about the Apostle Paul. We know that he was a man among men. We know that he was successful in Judaism. He said, I was above many of my own brethren, talking about Judaism there. Paul did everything he could to try to make Judaism thrive and Christianity to be destroyed. And after Paul was converted to Christianity, he did not in any way become a failure. In fact, he became perhaps the greatest servant of God the Lord's church has ever known. Paul was one that was indeed successful in his service to God. And in these verses that we're about to look at in just a moment, I want you to think about some of these qualities in Paul's life that we need to have if we want to be successful. I don't know about you, but we've begun a new year. For some reason, we think that that's a good time to to start over, to start anew, and perhaps it is, but we can do that whether it's June or whether it's February or August, it doesn't matter. We can always start over. But as we begin this new year, let's talk about success and how we as individuals and even collectively can enjoy success in 2018. Let's notice some of these traits in Paul's life that enabled him to be successful. And if you apply these traits to your life, folks, you will enjoy success as well. And I believe you'll not only enjoy success spiritually, I believe it's going to help you physically and materially as well. It'll help you as a student. It'll help you to be a better worker on your job. It'll help you to obtain more respect among your peers. I think these principles will help you in every area of life. First of all, may I suggest that Paul was always appreciative. In Philippians 1 verse 3, Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. You notice in Paul's writings that he's always expressing thanks. He's always thanking God for his blessings. He's always thanking his brethren for who they are and for their support of him and his preaching the gospel. Paul never failed to give thanks. And folks, we today need to learn not only to be more thankful, but we need to learn to express that thanks. We live in a society today where there seems to be a a sense of entitlement. You know, I deserve this. I earn this. Instead, we need to be thankful and grateful for what we have and realize that all these things are possible only because of God. But not only was Paul appreciative, Paul was also concerned. 
sincerely concerned about other people. In Romans 9 and verse 3, Paul makes an amazing statement. He said, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul had a deep desire, a concern that the people he taught would come to a knowledge and to an obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I could even wish that I would be a curse from Christ if it could only mean that you might be saved. Paul considered himself as a debtor, one who owed a great debt to all around him to make sure that they heard the good news about salvation. Paul was sincerely concerned about others. He didn't see them just as another person as such. He saw each person who is going to live eternally. And Paul was concerned about each individual soul salvation. But not only that, Paul was also one that was always considerate. If you notice 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13, Paul said, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to be offended. Now, it would just absolutely kill me if I abstained from meat. You know, I'm glad I didn't live back in that day and time. But back in this particular day and time, you know, there was nothing wrong. There was nothing sinful about eating meat in and of itself. Eating meat was something that was neutral. But in that particular day and time and in that culture, many people had been converted from idolatry. And a part of their worship of those idols was eating meat prepared for that specific purpose. And for those individuals to see a Christian who had no problem with eating meats, to eat that meat... It might cause them to go back to that former idolatrous worship. If it's okay for you, surely it's okay for me. But for me, it's going to become again an act of worship. Paul was considerate of his brethren. He would forego something he knew that was right in of itself if it meant the good of his brethren. He was considerate of them. But notice also Paul was very humble. He said in the book of Ephesians 3 and verse 8, Unto me, who am the least of all saints given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, Paul was always very humble. He never thought of himself more highly than he should think. You know, whenever you see a turtle on a fence post, that turtle didn't get there by itself. And folks, we need to understand the need to be humble. We need to understand that whatever we achieve in life, whatever success we enjoy, we had help getting there. I think about our young people. You need to understand and try to realize the, the sacrifices your parents have made to get you where you are today. The church here today 
is here and alive and active because of the sacrifice of generations gone by. We need to be humble. We need to realize that it's in God that we live and move and have our very being. And Paul realized that. He even called himself the chief of sinners. And he understood who he was and his true position in relation to God. But then notice Paul was a servant as well. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, notice how he describes himself. He says, Paul, a servant or a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul had a servant mentality. Paul said, I'm here to serve God and I'm here to serve my brethren. Paul said, you be followers of me and as I follow Jesus Christ, and Paul had the spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus came not to serve, but to, to, not to be served, but to serve. And Paul realized that he was here to serve others. But also Paul was bold in his preaching. And it's amazing to see how bold Paul was. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2, Paul said, But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God with much contention. You see, even though Paul preached and there was great affliction that came as a result of his work, even though he experienced contentions and persecution, he was still bold to preach the truth. But you know, Paul was also a very confident individual. And that, didn't, that confidence did not come because of who he was or what he had accomplished. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's confidence was not in another man. Paul's confidence was not in his heritage. Paul's confidence came from God. It came from Jesus Christ. He said, with God's help, I can do anything that God wants me to do. And then notice how Paul was determined. In Acts 4 and 14 and verse 19, there came certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they took him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Now, I don't know about you, but that would discourage me. Even the threat of being stoned. But notice how that the disciples stood round about him. And, you know, they thought he was dead too. But all of a sudden, the Bible says he rose up and came to the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Paul was stoned. He was thought to be dead, but that did not deter him. He was determined to remain true to his mission to preach the gospel. But you know, Paul wasn't just a boring individual either and ho-hum. Paul was excited. I think we can see that excitement in Romans 8 and verse 38. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul was excited about his message. He couldn't be quiet. 
He couldn't help but speak the things that he had seen and heard. He was excited. And then I think about how he set goals. He just didn't go about just doing what he wanted to do. He had goals in mind. Over in Romans 15 and verse 24, Paul said, Whensoever I take my journey to Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey. Paul had goals. He had a plan. He had areas that he wanted to go to. And he did his best to try to stick to those goals. And then notice also Paul was happy. He said that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, if you saw the apostle Paul, you know, you wouldn't see a, a hump in his back and his lip pooched out and, you know, woe is me and, oh, I've suffered so many things. Paul said rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It was obvious that Paul was a happy individual. And he was also very persistent. He didn't quit. After suffering as a prisoner for several years, he was still preaching the gospel of the kingdom in Acts 20 and verse 38. And Paul was a positive thinker. He said in Romans 8 and verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul said, you know, with God on my side, we make the majority. He was a positive thinker. And then notice how he was satisfied with what he had. He said in Philippians 4 and verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. See, outward circumstances, outward things didn't affect Paul's contentment. Didn't affect whether or not he was happy or not. He was content no matter what situation he found himself in because true contentment is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the mind. And Paul had that mind. And I love Paul's optimistic attitude that he always possessed. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, not to me only, but to all those that love his appearing. And then I want to suggest that Paul realized the source of his power. He said in 2 Thessalonians 4 and verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. He said, I know whom I have believed in. I am persuaded that he is able to do for me what he's promised to do. Paul was an individual that knew the source of his power. But very quickly, just for a couple of minutes, I want to suggest to you by looking at one passage that not only did Paul's life exemplify success principles, but notice that his teachings exemplified success principles. I want us to look at Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. And there Paul said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Reaching forth to those things which are before, forgetting those things which are behind, 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Just very quickly, notice some of these success principles from this particular verse alone that we need to apply to our lives. Number one, achievement is continual. Paul said, not as though I have already attained. I've not arrived. I've got to watch myself. I've got a lot of growing to do. I want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Achievement is continual. Number two, he kept his eye on the goal. He said, this one thing I do. Paul had focus. His focus was on Jesus Christ. His focus was on the goal. And then number three, he refused to dwell on the past. Now, some people today allow the past to paralyze them from doing anything for God in the present and in the future. But Paul said, I'm going to forget those things which are behind. And then number four, Paul realized that there are challenges ahead, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, regardless of what I've done in the past, Paul said, I'm going to focus on what I can do for God in the future. The past will not stop me. Number five, you know, never lose your desire. Paul said, I press on. What great desire he had. And then Paul said, never doubt reaching your goal toward the prize. The prize. The prize that we strive for is an eternal home with God in heaven. And then the last point here, never lose sight of your priorities. I press toward the mark for the high calling of God. You see, folks, we have high standards to live by according to the Bible. We have to live according to God's standards. We have to live God's way. We live differently from the world around us. This is a tremendous formula for success right here. I think we ought to memorize this. We need to strive to put these principles and practices into our lives. Now tonight, for these few minutes, we have seen some outstanding success principles for life. I don't think there's any way that anybody could ever improve on these things. In fact, these are God-approved methods and formulas for success. And so I want to challenge you. On the first Lord's Day of 2018, ask yourself this question. Do I really want to be successful in this coming year? Well, if you answer yes, why not make a great effort to put these principles that Paul teaches us into everyday practice? I think one way to begin is the challenge that was given by our elders this morning. You know, Dean challenged each of us to become more involved in the Lord's work. Each one of you were, were given a piece of paper, a, a sheet that has areas wherein you can be involved in the Lord's work in a formal way. Certainly we have individual responsibilities. We're to be a Christian every single day, every single hour of every day of every week. We're never off the clock. 
There are ways that we need to be involved in an organized way. And I want to challenge you to, to do some things that maybe you never thought you could do. And give the effort it takes to try those things. Be involved in some way in the Lord's work. Because there's no small thing that you can do. Everything is important. Everything is vital. And the way the church here can thrive, the way it can grow, is for each member to become involved in doing the Lord's work. You know, I think about something just as simple as the lunch bunch. We like to eat. I like to eat, don't you? Today we had soups and sandwiches, lunch bunch, group one. You know, Wesley did a, a great job making sure that everybody was ready for that and made sure that we knew it was our week. And I think we had 55 to 60 stay today for that. You know, just being a part of something like that is encouraging, if for no other reason. It's encouraging to be with your brethren, eat for them just maybe for an hour, once every five or six weeks. Something small like that is something that we can do. We ought not try to excuse ourselves from doing the Lord's work. We need to be challenged to be involved in the Lord's work in every way that we can. Not trying to, to do as little as we can. We need to be involved in trying to do as much as we can. And we need to learn from Paul to, to have that servant mentality that I'm here for the purpose of serving God. And I do that by serving others. And I understand that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And I understand the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. And 100 years from tonight, the things which are seen won't matter a lick to you. It's only the things which are not seen, the things which are eternal, that will matter. And so tonight as we sing this song of encouragement, I ask you to think about this question are you personally right now, are you succeeding or are you failing in living the Christian life? Maybe that desire has been stifled by the cares of the world. Maybe you've become sidetracked by sin. You've allowed things to come between you and God and Maybe you need to come tonight and make your life right. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need to make that step of obeying the gospel. To become a Christian. To become a part of God's family. And of course you do that if you believe that Jesus is the son of God. That he died for your sins. That he arose from the dead. And you're willing to repent of your sins. You can be baptized tonight for the remission of your sins. Based upon your confession of faith in him. And so tonight, if you have a need, if you need to come, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.